Hey everybody, welcome back to my podcast, The Nathan Bro Show. That's where you landed. Today we're going to be talking about Job, and I'm really excited about this because of just the, the implications that Job has in the daily life. Job talks about suffering, it talks about loss, and it talks about enduring suffering and loss through a biblical lens. Be sure to pack up and bring along your sorrow, bring your pain. This is one of those podcasts where we're not going to be ignoring, but we're going to be addressing head on things that maybe not feel too comfortable. So uh, brace yourselves, uh, get ready and be sure to uh, bring along a lot of the pain that, that you feel. I know I did when making this podcast. All right. So once upon a time, I was talking to a friend. I know. Big shock. I have a friend. I'm as surprised as the rest of y'all. Said friend comes up to me often with questions about the Bible. I love these questions. I try and answer them any chance I get. There's normally a lot of good questions. So this friend was asking me questions about the Bible. And during this round of questions, my friend was asking me about the book of Job. And the questions about the book of Job were kind of what you would expect are kind of standard when it comes to Job. The questions were things like, well, how did Satan and God talk? Do they meet often? I didn't think they could really get together. How could God let Satan do something like that? Or does God tempt us and started focusing on why God tempts us and so forth. But one of the first things I had to do was I said, whoa, 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 whoa. Let's answer your questions. But before we answer your questions, let's get to the point of Job real quick. Because Job is saying something absolutely fantastic, but you can easily miss it if you don't kind of get some certain basics straight. And the reasons that I say that is, of course, because we're, we're reading Job in a post-Christian era. So there's a lot of things that we as Christians kind of tack onto Job. We automatically assume that if you're going through something bad, it's because God's tempting you. God has a plan for all things. There's one door, one door closes, another one opens. If you're not going through a trial, you better prepare because you're about to go through one. Like all these sayings, no matter how true they are, all of these sayings have been deep-seated into our brain. So that way, when we read things like Job, we bring these to Job. And we can miss what Job is trying to bring to us. So first thing I said was, whoa, 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 whoa. And that's going to be... This next part is going to be what we're going to be talking about in this podcast. It's why I did the podcast because of these questions. I've been trying to do this podcast for a while. I've like recorded it, re-recorded it. I recorded it last time. I liked what I recorded, but I saved it in 8-bit. Moment of silence. That was a bad move. That's like you're spending a, like you're spending a, a, a multi-million dollar budget to make a movie that you then try and like store on a thumb drive. It was not good. It was, it was bad. We're going to talk about the book of Job. And I really enjoy the book of Job because its focus is both unique, but also very common in the Bible. Let's get some basics going real quick. First off, the point of the book of Job is loss and sorrow and grieving. It's very easy to take the book of Job and make it about the problem of evil. For those who don't know the problem of evil, in my opinion, the problem of evil is probably one of the hardest questions for the Christian church and for Christians to really overcome. In fact, I would be willing to say that the problem of evil, when left only to the problem of evil, is a kill-all for Christians. It is something that will completely destroy the Christian faith at face value, and this is the problem of evil. If there is an all-powerful God who is all-loving, how can there be evil in the world? Either 
And I believe there's a actual uh, gentleman attached to this named David Hume. The problem with evil is either God is not all powerful so that evil can reign despite him or God does not actually love you and is willing to let you go through suffering. Evil really is supposed to pose a problem with God. And it's a good argument against God in its bubble. But the thing is, like many other things, it's it, once you take it outside of its bubble, it so, starts to fall apart. Um, one big issue is the problem of good. And this isn't a time or place to talk about that. We can talk about this on a later pro- uh, topic. So the problem is with the problem of evil is that if you're going to say there's something called evil, then you must acknowledge there's also something called good and something that decides the difference between the two. Thus, you acknowledge a God-esque being that is powerful enough that what is right and what is wrong is put into his hands. And after that, it's as simple as going through the gospel. It really has like some glaring loopholes uh, because you have to, in order to say that there is evil, you must acknowledge there is good and that there is a being strong enough to judge. And it is the, the concept of the, that the Christians have of God's judgment that permits there to be evil in the world when God is all-powerful and all-loving because he's also a good judge. And if he is a good judge, then he must judge the world and must let it be continued uh, be judged for its own actions. He cannot simply take evil and remove it for the sake of it. He must judge evil where it is at. So there must be an active process of deciding right, deciding wrong, and being the judge between the two. And that's really where it's like, well, how can there be a good, all-powerful God and evil in the world? Because he is a judge. And the only reason you can say there's evil in the world is because God is a judge. So it has like a contradiction hidden in there. But if you ignore the contradiction, which the argument is designed to do, then it's a kill-all for Christians. Um, It's really hard to overcome. But in my personal opinion, and this is where Job shines, the problem of evil is not necessarily a problem of intellect. I could tell any person who really authentically has an issue with the problem of evil, everything I just told you, and it will do nothing. In my personal opinion, I've never seen arguing about the problem of evil solve any issues. The reason for that is because it, it's not an intellectual problem. It's just said it intellectually. The issue with the problem of evil is not the intellectual half of it. It's the emotional half of it. In my opinion, the best solution for the problem of evil is to ask the people, what evil have you gone through in your life? And instead of being an intellectual and a philosopher, uh, be a brother, be a counselor, be an encouragement and help them work through maybe some evil that's happened in their life. And this is where the book of Job shines. Because that's what the book is about. While it is easy to look at the book of Job and proceed to try and use it to talk about the problem of evil, how God can be good and there can be evil in the world, which is what we normally try and do with Job. The point of Job is actually to go through suffering, to go through pain and how to do it well. And that's the point of Job. While we may start the book off talking about Satan and talking about God, we spend most of our time talking about Job going through suffering and saying some crazy things. But the book of Job is, honestly, it's a, it's a book that is very powerful uh, because of the nature of the type of book it is. So before we talk about misconceptions of Job, let's, let's just talk about what Job is. Uh, there's three different types of lessons that you will see in the Bible that we'll talk about right now. Uh, and these are prescriptive, descriptive, and testimonial lessons. So a descriptive lesson is when you are describing something, a description, descriptive, Hopefully, I don't have to break that down anymore. The idea is like, you know, something the same friend asked me about later because this is a, this friend is a single mother and she's like, okay, sweet. Proverbs 31, really nice for new married women who don't have children or do have children. What about the single mothers? 
um, or single ladies, where there's where's their Proverbs 31. So the thing about Proverbs 31 is it's not being prescriptive, it's being descriptive. It is describing what a good wife looks like to a good man. And so there's a specific scenario where a man is talking to his son about what you should look for in a wife later on down the road. Does this is this woman in Proverbs 31? Was she a single mother at one point? Does not say. The point is, if you have a wife, try and have a wife that looks like Proverbs 31. It is a description of a generic good wife. It is just the description. It's not telling you how to be a Proverbs 31 woman. I know there are ministries focused around that, and I encourage those ministries, but do not look at Proverbs 31 and say, oh, this is how you become this wife. Is It's found in this passage of Proverbs 31. It's not necessarily in there. There are the passages. You know, the passages may be in Proverbs that try and help describe how to be that wife, but it's it's a description of what a good wife looks like. That is the first uh, it's type, kind of the simplest. It's like, let me describe for you what the ideal kingdom looks like. Uh, Jesus spent a lot of time describing the kingdom, the kingdom of heaven is like, and he would describe it. And through that description, you would gain an understanding of what the goal is and what you're aiming for. Uh, another form of lesson is a prescriptive prescriptions. You take prescriptions, you use them, you, they alter something either in your diet. So you're taking like a probiotic or you're taking a chemical or you're taking this, you're taking that, or it is like an ointment that you rub on your skin. And as a prescription, it helps to alter something. And so a prescriptive teaching is something that is being that instruction, that is being that learning. An example of this would be like in um, Corinthians, when Paul is talking to the church of Corinthians and saying, hey, um, we have an issue. Uh, you got a dude doing some bad things uh, because he's doing some, uh, he's, he's doing the nasty with his father's wife, which is a little more than a little ill. Um, <laughs> we've entered into a lot of ill. Paul Dustin actually said, excommunicate this kid. We need to kick him out. Uh, we're doing it for his own good as well as for the good of the church. There needs to be a boundary here. There needs to be consequences for this action. One of the only commandments that the Christians of this area and era was given was sexual purity and don't eat meat with blood still in it. Those were those two commands that they were really given to follow. And this kid was breaking like one of the only two. Boundaries were set down. This dude is breaking these rules. There needs to be a change. There needs to be a consequence. That is prescriptive. Direct command on how to alter something. And then you have a third form of teaching, which is very popular because it's very effective, and it's one we've all done. Testimonial. Testimonial is when you are using a description in a prescriptive format. Like I said, we all have been here. Like, and down where I'm from, deep in the country, we're all like, hey, you have that issue with your truck? Well, guess what? I did. I had the same issue with my truck. I took some duct tape. I put that, I smacked that straight on that pipe right there. Problem was gone. You know what I mean? Like, that's a testimonial. He it, That dude was not telling you what to do with your car. He was telling you what he did with his to provide a solution that fixed the issue you went through. The testimonial. And so a lot of Jesus' teachings that I said were descriptive probably actually go deeper into testimonials, but that's neither here nor there. We're not talking about that right now. We're talking about Job, and Job is a testimonial. What I love about Job is Job is a book that you are supposed to go through. You bring your hurt, you bring your loss, and you walk through Job with it. That is the point of Job. And so 
At the beginning of Job, we're going to feel a certain way. By the end of Job, we should feel a different way. So we're going from point A to point B with Job. And it brings you somewhere different emotionally and intellectually. It's really a good book for people who are going through loss and going through suffering. This is something I've had to deal with recently myself. A few years ago, uh, my brother-in-law committed suicide. And I've had to watch his family go through the whys and go through all these questions that cannot be answered. And the book of Job is a good guide on redirecting your attention uh, back to God in a time where honestly it feels like you've been abandoned by him and you're going through that suffering, you're going through that loss and you're asking these questions. Where was God when? Why didn't God just? What if I could? All these questions are questions that Job and his friends would be asking. So to give the general over idea, uh, overall idea of what jo- what's going on in Job, I'm going to give a quick synopsis. Um, I say quick synopsis, but then I'm going to want to include every single detail. So we're going to go quickly. The book of Job is one of the oldest books in the Bible, in my opinion. I personally believe that the story of Job is probably one of the oldest stories of the Bible because of some of the references that are given there. And that should uh, tell us a lot about the nature of man, that one of the oldest stories in history is about suffering and loss. It starts off with Job. Job is a blessed man. He has Lots of wealth. Now, this is not necessarily gold. This is before gold was considered a standard of wealth. It was actually in resources. So he had sheep. He would have had farms. He would have had children, lots of children. And so this was all a measure of how great a man is. Today, it's a number. It's a fictitious number you cannot touch in a bank account that theoretically does not exist. Back then, you could go out. You could touch every single sheep Job owned. And you could realize this man has a lot of stuff. Your boy Job was um, preparing for sacrifices the next day. Why was he doing that? Because his kids were going out and they was having themselves a party. You can't blame them. Sometimes you just want to go have fun. But Job was worried about his kids. He said, I don't want my kids to sin against God and to say secretly in their heart things that would offend God. So I'm going to prepare for a sacrifice tomorrow so that way they can have their fun tonight. But tomorrow I will purify them before God. This was a dude who crossed his T's and dotted his I's he dotted his iotas, his towels, they was crossed. All right, those little Greek humor, I'm sorry. And you got, G, you got God, he's chilling back and he's keeping account of all of his angels. What I love about this, God ain't sleeping. He's checking everything. And this is what's going on right now. He's, giving an, he's getting an account from all of his angels and he sees Satan there, the accuser. That's what his name means. It literally means accuser. And so Satan's sitting here, but he shows up. And God goes, how, how's you getting here? You know what? I don't, I don't even think I want to know. Um, that's not exactly what he said, but he does go somewhere along the lines of, what you doing here? And Satan was like, I was just taking a walk. I walked through all the earth, saw all the sights, went through the things, ruined some people's days. It was a great time. And God goes, okay, bud, whatever you say. Now, have you thought, have you, have you considered my bud Job here? And Satan goes, oh, yeah, I saw Job. Honestly, I'm not impressed. God's like, what do you mean? He's my most faithful servant. And Satan goes, yeah, but it's only because you keep giving him good stuff. If you took all that stuff away, then he wouldn't be faithful to you anymore. And God goes, oh, really now? Satan goes, yeah, take it all away. And God goes, no, you do it. But you're not allowed to touch Job. Well, Satan went and did exactly that. And the next thing that you see is really kind of just, oh, it's how it goes, man. Like, I don't know how to put it. It was one thing after another. When it there's a saying, when it rains, it pours. And man, did it pour on Job? Like it was when it rains, it pours. <laughs> one moment, first thing he hears, your kids are dead. 
all of them. I'm the only person that survived. They're all gone. That's enough to send a father into like, you know, insanity right there, especially since considering he had many kids. He didn't just lose like one or two. He lost quite a few. But it gets worse because in the next moment, the man turns around again. And um, this time is, oh, all your sheep are gone. Someone came and stole them all. And, it was, and I'm the only one who survived. Oh, so now you broke? That's good. Well, at least I've still got my camel industry going. JK, another servant comes in and goes, I'm the only one who su- survived. The fire ca- of God came down and killed all the camels. All right. None. In, there wasn't enough spit in the world to save those kids. <laughs> I love that part, though, because it's like the fire of God. Was it the fire of God? Was it not? There honestly could go either way. There was no specifics. One thing was clear. Job felt like it was the fire of God coming down to punish him for no reason. And he, he, he made that vibe known. He sent that vibe through. Anyway, cut scene. Well, actually, don't cut scene because Job is told, like, you know, what are you going to do? And Job kind of just shrugs his shoulders and went, what God gives, God takes away. Then you cut scene. You go back to God. He's getting an account from all his angels again. Not a day he's sleeping. But yet, that's exactly how we feel when we go through suffering and loss. We automatically assume God is sleeping. You must have skipped God's eyes. Nothing skips his eyes. He's always receiving an account. So you got Job. No, you got God. He's sitting down on his throne. He's keeping account of his angels. And guess who pops up again? Job's number one biggest fan, Satan. And faithful to shtick, he comes in. God goes, where you been? And he goes, well, I was going through my, all my world, all, all the world, all the, all, all, the, uh, all the kingdoms of the world. And, and God goes, well, did you see my friend Job? You know, the one you tempted me to fight against? Yeah, the boy ain't left me yet. He's still worshiping me. And Satan goes, yeah, but you've given him good health. Take away his life. Take away his health. And um, you'll see him sing a different tune. Listen, I'm not Satan's biggest fan. All right. But his name means accuser. And from the beginning, he has been trying to cause a wedge in between man and God. And there is something to be said about respecting a man who sticks to the shtick, if you get what I mean. All right. However, a lot of us could be like, well, what's the point? What's the goal? What's the end game? Really, just the end game is as the accuser. He wants to cause man to stumble, to cause there to be a gap between man and God so he can fill its place. It's kind of been his whole theme from his beginning. He is, at this point, Sticking to the shtick, you got to respect a man who sticks to the shtick. Not his biggest fan, making that clear. But again, you got to stick. You got to respect a man who sticks to the shtick and follows it through. This boy over here goes, take away his health. And God goes, you can't kill him. Don't kill him. Right. And so Satan goes and this Job is left in such a bad state. He's literally sitting in ashes, scratching his flesh with a clay pot. And a lot of us might think this is weird. A lot of y'all might think this is weird. To be honest, I've lived this life, all right? Uh, when I was in college, um, honestly, it's like, I think this year was the first time I didn't actually have to battle it through the winter. But during the winter, um, after I moved from Louisiana, hot, humid, to like dry, cold Virginia, dry, cold sections of Virginia, I guess, it's still not technically dry, I would have a lot of bad issues with eczema and dry skin. And I've been to the point where I would be taking knives and just rubbing them against my skin, trying to get some relief and itching my hand. And you leave your body like bloodied and disgusting. It's filthy. I'm sorry I'm putting this word image in you, but Job is going through this right now. I've been there, man. 
it is horrible. It wasn't until I finally, like, I couldn't even close my hand. It was so bad. Like, I could barely move my fingers. I finally went to a doctor, and the doctor gave me some ointment to alleviate the pain. And it was a steroid cream. I put that puppy on there. The thing was gone in, like, two days. All right? It was amazing. So, Entehu, Job is left in the same state. A pretty bad state. And he is constantly going through just physical agonizing pain and his wife's coming up to him, nagging to him, going, why don't you just curse God and get your life over with? And Job sticks to God. Praise the Lord, right? That's actually really awesome. Not many of us would be able to do that. I think that's kind of the point of what the author Job is trying to get to right now. Job's friends come by, they chill out for a second, mourning with him, but finally Job loses it and he goes, why would God do this to me? And just as a quick synopsis, the there's a banter between Job and his friends. You get to see all three friends, and they're all three speaking different things uh, in different ways. But generally, the theme is this, that Job will say something, his friends will reply. Job will say something, his friends will reply. Finally, um, this young, hot-blooded young man stands up and goes, that's it, y'all, all stupid except for me. Now I'm going to explain to you how the life really is. And then finally, cutscene, God step comes into play. What's interesting about this interaction that's going on is that at the beginning, even Job is like, I love you guys. I appreciate you guys being here, but I'm going through this right now. By the time he's done, he is cursing his friends. He's cursing his best friends. So what's interesting in this process of mourning and loss, and this is something I saw with my own family, with my brother-in-law, I've seen mothers turn on children and call their children the monster. Like, I've seen some pretty bad stuff. I've seen what mourning and loss can do to a family. And this is it. It deteriorates when the, when the pain is not dealt with properly. And so finally, God comes into play. He looks down and he is like, Job, right here, buddy, look at me in the eyes. And what's interesting about this is that Job is given a bunch of questions by God. And when, he's, when God is done asking the questions, Job can't answer one of them. And that reminds him who's in charge. With his attention back on God, he, Job is healed physically, I, assume, I think. He is taken care of. He receives uh, twice as many blessings as he did before all of, it, all of this, in, this whole situation happened. And end story, you're left on a happy note, which is interesting. Um, considering we're going through mourning and loss, not many people who finish Job are going to be at that point. So it's, when you read it, it's going to be like, that's there. I just don't see it yet. Before we go too deep into it, too further deep into what's going on in Job, let's just talk about misconceptions that may be going on with the book of Job itself. First off, I want to make something clear. God is not tempting Job. Um, God had no reason to tempt Job other than for the sake of Musing Satan, which I think we can all agree is not something that God puts on his to-do list. But God is not tempting Job. It's Satan who's tempting Job. And it can be very easy for us to be looking and saying, oh, Job's just going through a trial. Job didn't need to go through a trial because God already knew the result. And there's not really a point wherever where God claims to be tempting Job is really the big kicker. There's not really a moment where God says, I did this to you for this reason or even that he did this per se. So God never really claims it as tempting, but when we say that God is tempting Job, we are internalizing the story. We're making it something that we connect with, which is good, but by putting words in God's mouth, we can enter into a bad area. So we have to be careful. Like another misconception is the, that we can misconceive that Job's about Satan and God talking. And it's actually, it shows very little interaction between Satan and God and what's going on. 
Uh, we don't know if Satan's supposed to be in God's presence, but we don't know if like he snuck in. We don't know if God, we really don't know anything other than God sees the evil that's in the world because he is able to see Satan. That's really the only image we get. We don't really like there are portions of the Bible where you can figure out more about Satan. And like what my father likes to constantly say is like, you don't want to give Satan too much or too little power. If you give him too much power, you will begin to fear him like you fear God. And that's a bad place to be. But if you give him too little, you will give him the free reign he needs in order to mess with you. So you really want to try and get a good under like a good, healthy boundary with Satan. Trying to look at Job as a way to try and figure out what God and Satan's relationship is may not necessarily be the best point because the point of Job is not to tell you about Satan or to tell you about God and Satan interacting. The point of Job is to go through loss and to go through suffering together. So we really want to be careful not to put our own words in God's mouth. Um, we don't want to put our own words in the Holy Spirit's mouth. But getting on to Job, the point of Job is how to deal with suffering, death, and grief. These are the, that's kind of the role of Job. Like I said, it's a story you go through. You bring your hurt. You bring your suffering. As uh, Job and his friends are talking, you're going to find that you say a lot of the same things. What if we had been there? What if something had happened differently? Um, I actually had to catch myself. Um, this was in between recordings. I had already decided I wanted to record Job. And I was going through Job um, really before I'd really hardcore dedicated on getting it published and edited and all that. I realized I was going to have to re-record it because I said something that will that um, really I got caught in <laughs> because I stated um, I was I would kind of referenced that uh, Job's kids may not have actually been too innocent because of Job's concern. So it was like, why did God kill these ch- like children on the whim of Satan? Well, it actually would be appearing that the children actually deserved to die because they were sinning against God because Job was concerned about them and was going to sacrifice for them. And that's something that Job's friend says and is his later chastised from God himself for saying, uh, because you are deciding something you don't have the power to decide. There's a very strong theme in Job that I want to vocalize right here right now. You are not God. So do not demand answers only God gets. I had recently the way I've seen this is what if we had done this differently? And I've actually asked this. Um, I was looking at moving closer to this brother-in-law. I was looking for a job and I asked myself, what if I had worked harder at finding a job? And I moved down here. Good. I built that relationship with my brother-in-law to where he wouldn't have committed suicide. And I've heard other ones as well. Well, uh, my father-in-law saw him the day that, that, that morning and said, well, what if I had done something different? Like you are not God and asking these questions to a certain extent is demanding the knowledge of God and you're not him. Did Job's children do something that deserved punishment? That's for God to decide because God is the decider of right and wrong. If one is to be punished, God is the one who decides whom because that's his authority because he decides right and wrong. And that's going to be something you see a lot of in scripture. I think another interesting detail about Job is the role that Job played. Job oftentimes would tell God, let me have, let me have a minute with God. One second with God. And he won't be able to say a thing against me because I haven't done anything to deserve this. He finally got his minute with, with God and he didn't get to say word in because God was too busy trying to point Job's attention to himself by asking, were you there when I set the boundaries of the ocean? The intimidating dinosaurs 
I, I can't remember exactly which one that most biblical scholars think it is, but there's a reference to a dinosaur in the book of Job. The one with the long neck. The one that little that little foot was a big was a was a child of. Like a that one. Anyway. That's the, that's my extended dinosaur knowledge is Littlefoot. That's all I've got. All right. We are big trouble. We are big, big trouble. And God looks at Job and he goes, can you, uh, can you put a leash on that thing? Is, is it? Let's talk about dragons real quick. Breathes fire, scales that no, no warrior can penetrate. Is it scared of you? It's scared of me. Is it scared of you? And questions that really begin to remind Job that he's got his roles reversed. And so as you go through the book of Job and you're mourning through the book of Job, bring your hurt, bring your pain, bring your demands, bring your questions, because this book is there to help you look at those honestly, maybe not to get answers and maybe not even to bring your accusations before God, but at least to help you get a true and good look at what these questions have. And we're not going to go through these detail by detail, no matter how tempting Instead, I would just like to look at the roles of the people that are in the book of Job. First, we have Satan roles. Like I said, got to respect a man who sticks to his shtick because his name literally means accuser. And you'll do it, see him do it many times. He's the accuser. In other words, he's the one who trips you and then laughs at you and tries to get you in trouble for tripping. Like that is his role. That's what he does. That's what his name literally means. And he does so to Jesus in the wilderness. He does so to Eve. He does so constantly. He is the accuser. and. He is what he's trying to do is he's trying to cause a divide between Job and God so as to fill the gap. And that's really it's kind of this role in the story. How does he do this? Well, who does Job blame for all of his sorrows? But who's the person who really has been trying to get him to go through sorrow? Those are two different people. Job is accusing God. He's saying put God on trial. Never for a second realized because he didn't have that perspective, but he never for a moment was able to look and say, oh, let me talk to Satan for a second. Um, I feel like he wouldn't say, let me have a, a moment to test my honor before Satan. I think he'd be more along the lines of, let me punch that fool in the face. But anyhow, this is one of my favorite parts, man, because next up, let's talk about God's role. What is God's role? God doesn't actually move until the end. His character doesn't change. He doesn't even move from his seat. But yet, what's interesting in the story of Job is as a reader, you feel like God left. He's gone. He never changed character. He was still protecting Job, even down to protecting his life. God never moved. He was more faithful to the stick than Satan was. All right. I'm not going to lie. But it doesn't feel like that. It feels like it, when you're going through grief and loss and suffering, it feels like God raised his hand against you. It's not what's happening, though. And that's not what's happening in Job. God stayed in the exact same place. Just read the book of Job and pay very careful attention to where God is. He doesn't move. Job's friends, they answered questions that Job could never ask or did never ask and also could never ask. They were demanding answers to questions. Well, Job, we know that you're honorable, but maybe you should just really quickly um, consider this or that. Try this remedy, that remedy. Well, maybe you actually do have an unspoken sin in your life. Well, listen, Job, if you weren't such a sinner, like... It escalates, actually. But what happens is Job's friends constantly provide answers to questions Job never asked, many times couldn't ask. Again, Job's friends were the ones that accused Job's kids of sinning on that, that night at the party. They couldn't know anything that happened on that night unless they were there themselves. There was only one witness that survived. It was a servant. So it wasn't Job's friends. Job's friends weren't there. 
Job's friends answered questions that they couldn't ask. And when we suffer, we ask questions we could never ask as well. Why did God, why did God take them? It was before their time. You don't, you can't, ask, you can't say that because you're not the one who decided time. You didn't create time. You didn't create life and you do not control death. God does all of those. So when he takes somebody, it is their time. But these accusations we often bring up when we're going through suffering and grief. And it's not that you shouldn't bring them up. I think that's pretty, actually pretty clear by the end of the book of Job is that it's not necessarily that going through the pain is the sin or being in pain is the sin. Job didn't get punished for demanding uh, answers to what happened. He just had his attention redirected to God, which kind of puts us to uh, Job's role. He represents the emotions we feel in loss and grief. He constantly said, I'm, uh, I'm ex uh, exonerated. I haven't earned this. I haven't done anything to deserve this. Give me five seconds in front of God and we'll see the truth. And that goes on for a long time. I think it's like 30 chapters. It's a long time, guys. Uh, the last role to talk about is going to be like what God's was in the end. In the end, God actually does move. And what he does is he comes and he asks Job's, Job questions he couldn't answer. So while Job's friends gave him answers to questions he never asked, God gave Job questions he couldn't answer. What's interesting about that is that it puts Job focused back on where it was at first. And this is where we're going to flow out of the podcast. You got to feel the flow of the book. While at the beginning of the book, it felt like God was doing the tempting on Job or the attacking of Job or the unnecessarily punishment on Job, God never moved. He didn't really need to. Instead, what is actually going on in Job it's actually a story very similar to the one that happens when Jesus is here on earth doing his earthly ministry. He sends his apostles out into the ocean. And while they're out on the ocean, a storm comes. Scares the mess out of everybody. Would have scared the mess out of me. All right. And then all of a sudden, for no good reason, all of a sudden, someone had the audacity to be walking at and walking towards them. Again, they're in the boat in the middle of a sea. What on earth? And they're like, it's a ghost. What else is it going to be? And then it goes, it's not a ghost. It's me, Jesus. At which point they realize who had the audacity. And it's really the only person who has the right to. It's the son of man. It's the son of God walking on earth. I mean, walking on the sea. It's a miracle he's walking on earth, let alone that he's walking on the sea. Like, this is miraculous birth. So he's walking by his walking on earth is a miracle. Walking on sea is also a miracle. Everything's a miracle. All right. The whole thing, whole process, miracle. All right, that dude with the, the alien and the big hair. <laughs> Aliens. <laughs> Nathan over here, miracle. Anyway, focus, Nathan. Peter, being who he was, a man who is 100 at all times. Again, back to man who sticks his stick. Peter, who is, again, a man, 100 at all times. Um, made him flaky for a second there, but he came back. Peter, being that man who is 100 at all times, he never revs down, only revs up. He goes, Jesus, just say the word, I will walk on water. It's like, whoa, <laughs> bro, <laughs> that escalated quickly. All right, do you know what you committed to? And Peter was like, I don't care. I'm going to walk on water because I want to follow my Jesus. And you're like, look, man, go for it. I'll respect. And Jesus goes, all right, come on out here. And Peter goes, all right, and jumps out of the boat. And I, I would guess, I imagine actually he more like, Tested the water and was like, huh, what did I, why did I say that? I'm eating these words. I don't know. I wasn't there and I'm not Peter. But still, Peter proceeds to walk on water. What happens next? A big wave 
starts coming to him and he takes his eyes off Jesus. And it's not exactly like he was like, oh, hey, wait a minute, God. Wait a minute, Jesus. I'm going to go ahead and focus on this wave. Like, because I don't know what's going to happen here. Like, I'm I'm a jumpy dude. All right. I'm, I'm pretty jumpy. I jump at things that aren't there. All right. I think I see a shadow in the corner. I'm already clawed to the ceiling like a cat. All right. My wife's like, great. Got to go get the broom again. So I can't judge Peter for jumping at a wave. Like when something's coming towards you, your first inclination is to focus on it and jump. What happens? Since he took his focus off of Jesus, he started to sink, but Jesus came by and picked him back up. It's very similar to the story of Job. What's going on with the story of Job? Job is focusing on God, so much so every part of his life is orchestrated towards bringing honor to that God. And all that's left of that is the testimony of his friends. His friends are like, you are an honorable person that has always taught us about God. One of the first things that they said before bitterness sets in and they go, you were always greedy. You were always a liar. You never loved God. And that started coming out at towards the end. Loss can build bitterness. Bitterness destroys families and friends. Got to deal with it, guys. But Job was a man focused on God from the very beginning. His attention was on God. This suffering and this loss might have been just even the mildest of setback. And he was brought to questions that uh, wouldn't have had his attention. At first, and when God comes back, he goes, hey, I'm right here. Come back to me. I have blessings for you. In this process, in the story of Job, when you start off in the beginning of Job, you start off feeling like God has set himself against you. This isn't necessarily like um, I was just living on a Tuesday and all of a sudden this bad thing happened. And it's like, why would God do this to me? I was trying to live for you. Jeez. It's more like you were, on your, your, you were on your way in your car. You were on your way to church because you were going to an outreach event where you were going to liberate children from the slave trade and you get in a wreck. And this wreck ends up paralyzing you from the waist down. And you're going, God, I was actually on my way to go do your work in the streets. And you did this to me? That's the level that Job's at over here. He is like, I am constantly trying to point my community, my people, everybody to you. And this is what's going on. And why would you do this to me? I have done nothing to deserve this. I've only been faithful to you. And God's going, Job, 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 Job. And that's the process that's happening. You are walking through Job with this. And then Job, and God comes down and goes, Job, 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 Job. Listen, listen, you don't know what's going on, but I do. I've always been in control. You have always trusted me. Don't change that now. So by the end of Job, you are brought back into a connection with God in alignment with God. And by the end of Job, you as the reader should be at a different point in a different state. So really, like it comes really back down to Job is a book you travel through. And you remember by the end of it that you focus on God. So as we come towards the end, go listen to Job, read Job. Don't take it little by little, like drink that puppy in. Like it's a big glass of water and you're thirsty, all right? And just see the move with Job to this new place and know that this is a story that we all go through sometimes. And that in the end, your security through loss and grief and suffering is God. Just like it was in the end for Job. Thank you all guys for listening to my podcast. If you liked uh, what you heard, be sure to like and 
subscribe on your platforms that you're listening from. Please be sure to share it with friends. Get this podcast out, guys, so that way we can be really encouraging other people uh, through scripture, through the gospel, and talking about life. Please feel free to reach out to me. Uh, Thank you, guys. Bye, fam.